Welcome to the Future Church podcast with me, Anthony Delaney. Um, I'm sneaking in on a conversation that I was scheduled to have with Jonathan Conrath to be looking at the future of the church and to be really thinking in terms of the supernatural church, which is something that the Lord has been speaking to me about during my sabbatical, that we are meant to be a supernatural community of disciples that are all focused on Jesus. But as we do that, um, we're going to see the end, I believe. I think we're already seeing the end of the powerless church. I think that church is, is dying and in its death throes. But at the same time, there's something the Lord is raising up, doing extraordinary things through ordinary people um, that have been with Jesus. Um, that was the notable thing about those disciples in the early church. And that presence with the Lord, at times with him, gave people um, a sense in which, I mean, thinking like Peter and uh, John going to the temple just after Pentecost, and they see a guy on the ground who's uh, you know, been blind, I think, from birth. And no, uh, uh, no, 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 he's not, he's not blind. He's, he's, he's yeah, he's, he's, he's not moved <laughs> from that yeah, spot, yeah, shall sure. we say, yeah. Because as the song goes, by the time they've done with him, silver and gold have yeah. I on. But such as I have, they know what they have and they give it away and they give it to him. And, uh, and he receives healing and went walking and leaping and praising God. And there was never, you know, we could never forget that encounter that he'd had with the Lord. But, you know, they said, look at us. That's what strikes me from that. Yes, we want to point people to Jesus, but they knew they were carrying the presence of God yes. in a way that would unlock something. So when I've been praying and thinking about how we can become a more supernatural church, the uh, the person that came to mind is Jonathan. And so I I'd scheduled a, a chat with him anyway today. And I thought, why don't we make this into a, a Zoom meeting mm -hmm. so that then we can put this out on the podcast and for other people that I know around the world and downloading this and listening to this for you to be able to meet, meet somebody who he won't say is remarkable because he's humble, but that's why the Lord's leading him, using him in so many ways. But um, he's, he's somebody that I, I have heard about, nearly done ministry with uh, a little while ago. We kind of had discussions about it, but due to my lack of organisation more than anything else, it never quite happened, but I'm desperate to connect further. Um, with my guest today on the Future Church podcast, Jonathan Conrad. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you, Anthony. Great to be with you. Where are you at the moment? I'm actually sitting at home. We've just uh, come back from a, a holiday, a much needed holiday in, in Spain after lots of uh, lots of missions around the UK and overseas. So, um, so yeah, just enjoying a little bit of time off. Well, I say off, uh, you know, obviously we've been back since Monday and, and catching up everything. So um but brilliant to be able to connect today. And geographically, where is that? Yeah, that's in Lincolnshire, South Lincolnshire. So, um, yeah, so we we go to Kingsgate Community Church in Peterborough. Yes. Um, and the borders are all very close around here. So, um, yeah, so we're about 25 minutes away out from the church. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, anybody knows Stanford, that sort of area, uh, just off the A1M, we're only about 15 minutes from there. Yeah, Beautiful, lovely place all around there. Bit flat for me, I think I have to say. <laughs> I do love the hills. Yeah, so, indeed. <laughs> maybe, 
maybe uh yeah maybe maybe they can build a big hill or something over there and you know do some <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, <that'd be> nice. <laughs> yeah. um so your background just tell me a little bit about well you know family wise what's the background for those who, and also uh well how did you come to know jesus what's the story there yeah, well, I, I, I was really privileged to be born into a Christian family. I, of course, it, it doesn't make you a Christian. You're going to get saved like anybody else. But um, but a Baptist family down in the south of England. And so um, anyway, uh, yeah, mom and dad uh, love the Lord. And um, and uh, I have an older brother and a younger sister. Uh, at the age of four, I can remember um, uh, talking to my mum in my parents' bedroom and just saying, uh, I want Jesus in here in my heart. Mm. Obviously, at four years old, I didn't understand all the ramifications of that. And my dad said to me in later years, it took a long time for salvation to manifest. But despite that, I, I knew that the Lord, I knew the Lord came into my heart. I remember getting on my knees and saying, Jesus, come into my life. And and he did. And so I grew up with a sense of his presence, uh, you know, with me uh, during those years. When I was um, nine years old, my parents got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That changed everything. Mm. Um, as it was at the time, it was a Baptist church. And uh, the Baptist church generally today is, is uh, you know, although a bit of a mixed bag on, on that area, nonetheless tends to be a lot more open to the things of the Spirit than it used to be. And in those days, uh, if you spoke in tongues, you know, you were out. And uh, that's what happened to us. Um, but that formed a new church, um, the Cheam Fellowship, as it was as it was known back then. Um, connected quite a bit with some of the guys from Chard, like Ian Andrews and people like that. Um, my dad ended up being one of the trustees for Ian Andrews and has been for many years. So I grew up around Ian, who was one of only three people actually that Catherine Coleman said would carry her anointing. Wow, um, all very interesting kind of thing. So. He taught me a fair bit about moving in the word of knowledge and, and healing, those kind of things. So, um, yeah, when I was 12, I saw my first uh, first miracle, um, not through me praying for somebody, but just being at a Christian event. And it had such a profound impact on me. I, you know, I want to get baptized in water. Uh, I wanted to get baptized in water there and then, but my dad said I had to wait till I got home. So I did. Um, very soon after I was also baptized in the spirit um as was my brother my sister and uh yeah just grew up in a wonderful time of the church's history really in the early days of the charismatic renewal um and i'm so grateful to the lord that i grew up around a company of people that believed miracles were normal and so um so that was very very helpful not seen as something extreme out there but something just to to receive and and believe for and uh, through the years i've learned the importance of that you know there's a there's a passage before I go on about my testimony. You know, there's a passage in Galatians 3, 5, and 6 that I think is so key, where Paul says to the Galatians, he says, um, this I want to know from you. Did you receive the Spirit? He says, he, he who supplies the Spirit to you, which the Greek says supplies with great and free just generosity uh, and works miracles amongst you. Does he do it because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? So to me, this whole thing of what we believe is so key for the release of the power of the spirit and miracles. And so I'm just so grateful, you know, growing up in that environment where faith was was pretty expectation for God to move was proclaimed and encouraged. And that changed everything. And um, when I was about 15, um, you know, the school I was at, uh, it was an all boys school, 450 lads. 
Um, and uh, I can remember very distinctly, just I've started to get more into the word in those days. Uh, and I can remember just coming across the, the verse of things in Matthew 10, where Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven. And up to that time, everybody knew I was a Christian. Um, you know, I wasn't up to all the same stuff all the fellas are up to. But nonetheless, uh, I wasn't really on fire either. And so in terms of sharing the gospel, you know, with people. As I just saw that this is something that um, that Jesus, you know, required of us as believers. So I started to share Jesus. Not very well at first. <laughs> I felt like I was just telling people off. But um, but after a bit, I learned a bit more about sharing the good news. And uh, and that led to about 100 of those 450 boys coming to Christ. Wow. Um, and uh, and then I came across the scriptures in John 14, 12 and in Mark 16, where Jesus promises that believers will do the same miracles that he did. And I began to see up to that time, I kind of thought that this was the this was kind of like the the inheritance of of the particularly privileged, anointed, you know, guys up there in the fivefold ministry. But what struck me was it was for those who believe. And I think it's really interesting. I, I didn't know that this then, but uh, I since have learned it, that that word believe is in the verb tense. So it was so the miracles were reserved for the doers of the commission, not for just the people who believed in a passive sort of way, but weren't stepping out to do it. So that meant I started to, I went to school every day on a train and I just started to offer prayer for the sick on the train. Um, and, you know, and also at school started to see people healed. In all honesty, I didn't know a lot about sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I, got, I had to learn that going on. Um, but nonetheless, people started getting healed and, and that would lead to them giving their life to Jesus. Um, and then when I was 17, uh, in, in a big hall with about 100 guys all taking A-levels, and they said, those of you going into university, go on to that side. Those of you going into, um, you know, to employment, go on this side. Actually, all the guys who led our church, all the elders of the church were all bivocational. So, uh, so I didn't have any room in my thinking for paid ministry at all. So I didn't know where I fitted. So I was left standing in the middle. Um, and the teacher bellowed down at me. And in my school, they always called you by your surname. So he said, Conrath, what are you going to do with your life? I said, uh, I'm going to preach the gospel, sir. Well, in, in that school, you know, they were preparing guys really for, um, for public office, you know, for politics and law and high end business. So it wasn't really what they expected. And so he shouted at me and said, you're going to what? I said, I'm going to preach the gospel, sir. He said, I think you need to come to the careers advice office. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So anyway, I did that. And, uh, you know, this thing churned out its ideas for my life. And we agreed that I would meet with him again the next day. Well, to be honest with you, um, when I got back that night, um, before going to bed, I got on my knees and I said to the Lord, Lord, I, I don't seem to be arrogant to this man. He's trying to help me. But, you know, would you speak to me in a way that's unmistakably clear? Uh, prayer, those prayers have helped me over the years, particularly when you're at crossroads times and emotions can be up and down. Just to pray, Lord, you know, you can speak to me past the emotions and all of that. And I just asked you to give me clarity. And But I didn't expect to happen what happened. I I fell asleep and I was immediately in a vision where I was standing. Um, it all seemed so, it was so real to me as if it was physical. I was standing at the foot of the cross and the Lord was on the cross. And my initial impression was, what's he doing on the cross? He's risen from the dead, you know, but, but he's just getting a point over to me. 
And he kept saying these words to me, healing and salvation must be preached from my cross. Healing and salvation must be preached from my cross. Anyway, halfway through the night is what it seemed like. The vision changed. I was face to face with the Lord and the cross was to our side. And he just said to me, now look and see who's on the cross. I looked and saw myself. Mm. Well, I suddenly came out of the out of this vision and um, it was morning. Obviously, I didn't see it, but I felt like imprints on my hands and feet. I couldn't talk for 40 minutes, prolapsed by this encounter with Jesus. And I just woke up knowing two things. One, knowing two things. One, one was that, that the Lord had called me to preach um, the gospel. And by that, I mean the full gospel, including signs and wonders. And, um, and secondly, there was a price to pay. And certainly in the immediate, it meant I couldn't, I couldn't go into business as my dad was in. Dad was a pastor and uh, an estate agent um you know and uh i couldn't do that and uh i needed to live by faith um and just trust him so make a long story short i ended up working um and there's a whole other story to this but i trained with a wonderful evangelist called don double and the good news crusade i ended up being his worship leader and also an evangelist with him we had a big 2000 seater tent we took all over the 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 uk doing missions and overseas uh, that involved also doing work a bit with Derek Prince and Mahershav, mm. other people like that. Uh, a total privilege. Um, David Pawson, others of that that uh, caliber. Huge blessing to be around them. Um, and then after seven years, the Lord called me to establish the ministry that I now lead, which is Mission 24. Has yeah. been 54 nations, and uh, yeah, it's been a total privilege. 54 nations. Wow. So. I think I heard Don Double a couple of times up here in Manchester when I was a relatively new Christian. He came up and uh, definitely somebody who moved in the power of the Holy Spirit and expected, um, you know, the release of of healing and of miracles. I remember pretty much hearing him. Didn't he say something like he'd never been able to read until he he was given a Bible. It was the first book that he could ever read was the Bible. That's true. And, yeah. I, and, and actually, his, I mean, he had a very sickly um, background as a child. And so he couldn't read or write. Um, he started as a salesman before he was an, an evangelist. And he used, to, he used to sign contracts for the cross. <laughs> Just that, that, that was it. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and his, his wife, Heather, is now with the Lord. But um, uh, Don is in his late 80s now. But uh but yeah, I mean, she taught him to read the Bible, and even in his even his later years, he could he could read the Bible and he could read a book if it was anointed to him. <laughs> and if it wasn't anointed to him, he couldn't read it. You know, it's just, um, like, just quite amazing. Yeah. I'm just going to go back really and think about your early experience as a young believer when you were a boy and you were working it out, etc. And then you said, you know, I saw a miracle. And you, so you're somebody who has been in settings where, as you said, the miraculous is, is normal. I, I've just been really more aware than ever in recent times that perhaps it's uh, just the streams I've been involved with, but I would imagine that for many listening too, that's not necessarily been the experience. I mean, I, I really, when I first came into ministry and was, anything was around the time of the really badly named Toronto blessing but just for shorthand for that yeah. and the, the move of the spirit that was flowing out of that and the first church I was involved with down in Devon when I was a what they call a curate in the Church of England there was a there was a move of God that, that came in and we saw people stepping out of wheelchairs we saw the blind seeing we, we saw all of those things happening and in some ways that became 
it was the norm for then. Yeah. But now there's a generation, I think, that have grown up without seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how do we, you know, what needs to change in order that we can get those people who will stand, as you've said, and say, I believe and, yeah. and operate in that level of faith, like going back to the, what the story I, I mixed up before. But, you know, Peter and John, for me, were, were like trying it out. You know, there's like, listen, like you were saying on the train, on you know, you, you just was like, well, let's give it a go. Yeah. And it seems to me that's what Peter and John was doing. It got them in a bit of trouble again. <laughs> but, but what can we do that kind of reclaims something of this next generation? Uh, um, very much looking for, you know, I don't think they're, they're not worried. They're not frightened about something being weird. The, the world around them is very weird. Yeah. How do we well how do we connect them what can we do as, as church leaders that will enable the, the next generation to step into the fullness of the inheritance that the lord has for them because as he said he said you're going to do greater things neither i think if, if, if i approach this from the as we began early in the conversation looking at the faith angle for a minute on this this you know galatians 3 passage I think if I, if I look at faith for a minute as because there, there's so much, I you know there are times when people are just sovereignly healed or have a sovereign encounter with God without them exercising any particular faith, uh, you know, and, and I think sometimes people get healed when even the guy who's ministering doesn't necessarily have any faith. Sometimes the Lord just moves and does it anyway, sovereignly. But as it, but it's not the, it's not the general principle. And I think, uh, it, I think when we're going to build something and we're looking for answers, we don't build it on exceptions. Mm. We should build it on on more general principles that are, are the bigger picture. And to me, I, I think you know you get three things, three things about faith with the with the miraculous that really strike me. One of them, you get this passage in John four, uh, around verse forty eight, where Jesus says, "Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe." And so, there's one level of faith there that you know people see it and it's easy to believe because that's just a kind of natural faith. Of course, we know there's there's another kind of faith that Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then, of course, there's 1 Corinthians 12, 9, which talks about, I think the Greek describes it or some theologians referring to the gift of faith and refer to it as the gift of special faith. And so where the Holy Spirit just suddenly deposits a, a portion of God's faith. And I, I, so for me, I, I find it hugely encouraging, the thought that God, God's never had a moment of doubt in his life, you know, <laughs> even about us, you know, which is tremendous, you know. But, um, but the thing is, is that um, I, I would say, you know, in evangelism, lots of times we've seen people, um, you know, people who come to Christ because they see a miracle, uh, even folks in, you know, folks in churches who actually saved, they love the Lord, um, but don't believe so much in miracles or struggle to believe that. And then they see something happen and it quickens their faith. So it's very much that, that's that kind of natural level faith, as it were. Yeah. But if we're going to actually talk about moving in faith and moving more regularly in the miraculous, that can be a starting point. That can be a, an igniting for people. But we have to learn to. We have to the, the problem with that kind of faith is if it doesn't happen, then people are back into unbelief again. And then that starts to magnify and it creates a vicious circle of more and more unbelief that creates less and less miracles. And so it carries on. 
So we have to actually go deeper than that and look at where is the source here? Where is the source of the miraculous? Well, obviously, first and foremost, it's Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Secondly, we see it comes from his word. And thirdly, we see it comes from the power of his spirit. And I think, therefore, uh, and there's a connection between all those things. And I think, therefore, that um, we need to be feeding our faith. I think there are books out there um, that are unhelpful, you know, where the miraculous is concerned. I think that there are books that are really helpful, <laughs> um, you know, and uh I make it a personal habit to me and have done over the years to ensure that I'm regularly reading materials alongside the scriptures, the healing scriptures. Um, and we have an app, actually, the Mission 24 app, totally free of charge, where, where years ago I got healed from malaria listening to the, the healing scriptures. And so um, but I had to get an, a, a, it was listening to an American tape. It doesn't know how old ago it was, how long ago it was with a tape. But I couldn't find any English resources anywhere that had the healing scriptures. Oh. So it was like there was an aversion to that kind of approach. And so but as I listened to it, I was waiting for the logos to become a quickened rhema in my heart and really release living faith in me. And then when I acted on that, the miracle happened. And, you know, I think so because of it, I later decided I would create one myself. And so I did. And it's free to download, you know, on, on the thing if anyone's interested. But but the thing is, is that um, to keep visiting and revisiting the healing scriptures on a regular basis to keep our faith and expectation built up yeah. is really important. So that actually before we pray for people, um, we are. You know, we're more surprised if they're not healed than if they are. Wow. That's <laughs> because true. we approach them with the expectation it's going to happen. But the other thing is when the spirit suddenly comes. If I just tell a quick story, if you don't mind, that really illustrates this. And it's in my years with Don, I can remember um, we just come back from a, doing a gospel campaign in Pakistan. That was a, a wonderful time. And um, about 20,000 or so people came to the Lord lots of miracles. And we came back, we put a tent up back in my own hometown, back in Cheam in Surrey. And, and lots of people were coming to Jesus and there were lots of miracles happening. I can remember we always used to do one meeting uh, in a week or 10 day uh, mission that was normally in the afternoon. It was just an hour long and it was a meeting for the chronically sick. So we always prayed for the sick, but this meeting was for those who couldn't stay around for a longer meeting. And so people would come from the hospitals and all sorts, and and they would just fill the tent. Um, so anyway, I'd actually been out for the whole morning doing street evangelism. I was in my early 20s, and I remember coming back, and I was always building my faith up for the miraculous. Um, I came back from the streets, and I walked, and I wasn't leading this meeting for the chronically sick, but as I walked into the tent, I suddenly, I wasn't even looking for it, I felt clothed with power in such a way, if I can illustrate this, you remember the old ready break advert, <laughs> the kind of red around you. It, it felt like that. I felt like I was clothed with power and the gift of faith dropped in my heart. And I just knew that I knew that I knew if I prayed, anybody I prayed for would be healed. I saw four people in wheelchairs on the front row. 
I went up to the first one and you know, it's like when the gift of faith operates, you just feel like you can't put it in reverse gear. So you find yourself being very bold. So I walked up to the first person. I said, would you like to walk? And they said, yes, please. I said, get up in Jesus and pull them out of the wheelchair in the name of Jesus. And this lady pushed the wheelchair out herself out of the, out of the tent, totally healed. So then I went to number two. I said, do you want to be healed? She said, yes. I said, get up and walk in Jesus name. And she went out as well. Came to the third, same thing happened. Well, by this time, you can imagine I, I'm just, I'm pumped with excitement about all that Jesus is doing. So I come to number four, and it's actually another lady. There were two guys, two ladies. I come to number four, and I can feel the power of God flowing. I say to her, um, Madam, do you want to walk? Now, I'm fully expecting her to say yes. But she looks at me and says, no, thank you. I'd lose my disability benefit. <laughs> well, you know, bless her heart. It, it wasn't so much an issue of faith for healing, but faith to live and earn a living again and face life and all of that so i just you know but there were two things that happened the first thing was i i said to her look uh i, I need to look there's no condemnation healing is a grace thing not a you know not a law thing i say look i can see this is about facing life again and all that not about healing but um i said but i've got to be honest with you because the moment she said no the anointing and power of god that gift of faith went like that was gone and lifted off me and I just said to her, I've just got to be really honest with you. This isn't a put down, but we've got to be honest with this stuff. I said, look, the moment you said no to what God was offering at the moment, the spirit of God lifted off me. I said, but it's not the only way to be healed. I said, Mark 16 says, if I as a believer lay hands on you, you'll recover. So look, what I want to do is, is this, if you're up for it, I'll lay hands on you. I'll pray for you in the name of Jesus. I can't guarantee whether it be a, a gift of healing that will instantly suddenly flow at that moment. It may, it may not. I don't, I don't know. But here's the thing is that I do believe that the moment I lay hands on you, healing will be imparted. Uh, healing will begin. So I said, so what I want you to do then is to cooperate with it every day. Say, thank you, Jesus, for healing me whenever you think about it and do a bit more than you could do the day before. How about it? She said, well, I think I could handle that better. They give me time to make adjustments in my life. I said, all right, no problem. Let's do it. Well, I laid hands on her and in all honesty, felt absolutely nothing. Um, but two years later, I'm doing a meeting down in Croydon at New Life Christian Centre. It's obviously a God church down there. And um, at the end, on the Sunday after a weekend of meetings, on the Sunday night, this woman approaches me and she says to me, John, um, do you remember me? I said, Dad, forgive me. You look familiar, but I can't quite place you. She said, I was the woman who didn't get up uh, in the tent in Cheam Park two years ago. Well, she's walking perfectly. I said, but look at you. I said, this is wonderful. I said, you've got to tell me the story. And this was it. She said, you know, she said every day for the, for the following 13 weeks, she said, I, I did what you told me to do. I thanked Jesus for my healing. And I did a bit more, tried to move my, my feet than my leg and whatever else. And she said, uh, on about um, 13 weeks later, there's one day I'm sitting in my downstairs flat. She said, um, she says, yeah, bottom floor flat in Croydon, watching Coronation Street, of all things. I don't think there's any connection. <laughs> but she says, I'm watching like that. And she said, and suddenly, she said, I remember to say thank you again to Jesus. And when I said, Lord, thank you again for healing me. By faith, I believe I receive. She said, at that moment, the power that I felt in that tent 13 weeks before filled my downstairs room. And I was physically lifted out of the wheelchair and set on my feet. And I haven't been in it ever since. Come on. You know, remarkable, wonderful. Mm. Why 13 weeks later and why on earth watching Coronation Street? I got no idea. But I do know this, that I just believe the Lord is for us. He is our healer. He's full of compassion. And we need faith in his love and in his faithfulness. And, you know, whether it's instant, whether it's progressive, 
you yeah. know, we need to learn to step out in faith and trust him. Yeah, we do. We do. So again, we get, a, I'm sure, a broad range of different leaders, different churches here. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm with you 100% and we need to reclaim those truths of scripture as our, um, as what, the, you know, the, what the Lord has won for us on the cross as part of preaching the gospel, as you said, that we should have this expectation that uh, as well as him being the Lord who, who heals, um, uh, who forgives all our sins. Yeah. It's also, you know, for anybody who's ever listening to this, every time you've ever been healed in your life, that healing has come from the Lord, whether you yeah. whether it came because the doctor gave you a pill or because you just suddenly yeah. woke up the next day and felt better. He yeah. is the source of healing in our lives um and 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 yet just there might be one or two who come on here and you know and principally because of i think some of the excesses you know some people have ended up more like uh simon majus the um the one who thought he could buy the gift of god with money yes you know know, and uh, you know we've don't even need to rehearse those those issues around how this has gone wrong but i always say with things like that just because somebody's doing it wrong doesn't mean that we don't get to do it right. That's wrong. But, but what about somebody who says, you were talking about Galatians before and the miracles there, but um, you know, the, the, didn't the miracles just sort of stop when we got the Bible, as some teach now, that, that, uh, you know, that they kind of kick the church off in, in the miraculous, um, but then we shouldn't expect those kind of things today because actually now we've got the Bible and that's the miraculous book that we need. And it will teach us to, you know, persevere and to grow in our faith by undergoing the trials and tribulations in this life, uh, which will, will be more than adequately re- uh, restituted for, or, you know, it will be paid back for mm-hmm. in the future or whatever, Those, that kind of thing. What, what, what's the kind of, risk, you know, how, how, what do you think about, about that when people would just say, I don't believe in any of this is for today. And they you know, I'm, I'm a good Christian and I'm, yeah, you know, etc. but they, they just, their expectation because of their theology I'm talking about rather than oh, even their yeah. experience would be God doesn't do that these days. Yeah. Well, I, I would say for me, I, you know, number one, I, I'm a word and spirit man. So for me, I'm not just on having an encounter and then try to justify it from the Bible. I, uh, for me, it's really important. It's in the scriptures and it's clear in scripture. And let every word be established by two or three witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I am obviously not a cessationist. Um, uh, you know, there are, we, we all understand there are, you know, there may be afflictions and things that we have to press through and persevere through in this life. Uh, and there certainly can be sufferings for the gospel, um, you know, and, uh, you know, but I think it's really important that we don't, um, when we see something um, written in scripture, such as, you know, you're, you're referring to the cross, for example. I do believe that healing is in, is, is in the atoning work of Christ. Um, I do believe everything we receive from the Lord is through that work. Some people say, well, it's in the kingdom. It's not in the cross. Why well, is it, you know, there's that verse in, in Revelation 19 says that Jesus was the lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. So in some senses, we can say that the provision of salvation was there even before sin uh, entered the world, you know, and, and of course, it, in the fullness of time, Jesus came into the world. And, and of course, and, and we know all of that. But 
As far as the miraculous is concerned, I've never been convinced by cessationist arguments, um, you know, from a pure scripture point of view. But I have to say that um, if I just go back for a minute to the Great Commission, if we if we go before the Great Commission to the ministry of Jesus with the 12 and with the 70, and if we go first of all to the 12, so you get in Matthew 10, and of course he sends them out and he says to them, go, and this is all in command form in the Greek, proclaim the kingdom of heaven as at hand. It's verse 7 and 8, Matthew 10. He says, heal the sick. So this is in the same command form as preach the kingdom of heaven as at hand. In a, you know, just in a skip, no breath, he says, heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, and raise the dead. We've seen all of those things. And he says, freely you've received, freely give. Well, the interesting thing is when we get to the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, he then goes on and he says, you know, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, um, you know, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So if we just stop there for a moment without going to the rest of the verse, everything I've commanded you. Well, he's talking about what he commanded the original 12. They were to teach every disciple of Christ what he commanded them. Well, the commands that he gave clearly were relational. They clearly love one another as I've loved you and et cetera, et cetera. They were obviously prayerful and devotional. Um, you know, they're moral, clearly moral as well. But they're obviously missional as well and these are part of the missional command and so there's a command there for you know that that all of the disciples are to be all of the disciples who then make disciples and these disciples are continuing to make themselves is in the great commission that that same command is to go down to every believer of christ and for me when i look at that i think my goodness me you know if just imagine if every believer had been taught to do what the original 12 did ever since the ascension of Christ and the receiving of the power of the spirit of Pentecost. Imagine if that had carried on. I, I, I reckon Jesus would have come back, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> because we cannot, you know, there's, for me, it's very interesting that, um, now I, I, I'm not a, um, you know, by affiliation anyway, by experience I am, but not by affiliation. I'm not a Pentecostal uh you know christian i'm i'm a baptist who got baptized in the spirit i don't want you to call me a baptocostal or a charismatic or whatever you want to call it. I, i'm just as far as i'm concerned i love jesus and i want to get on and do what he's he's called us to do so um but it, i find it striking that by hundreds of thousands perhaps by millions more than any other denomination in the planet the pentecostal church is the fastest growing denomination anywhere in the earth yeah. And I think there's good reason for it. And part of the thing is there is no debate in those denominations about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, you know, when you when you step away from debate and you come to the conclusion, and to me, a, an honest appraisal, an honest examination of, um, you know, of the letters of the book of Acts, of, of all of that. And I mean the letters, not just the book of Acts. Um, you know, when I when I look at all of that, uh, to me, I cannot come to any other conclusion but that the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God, and the fivefold ministries and all of that are for today. Mm. I find no scripture that would that would contradict that statement. Uh, in fact, I, I feel like, and I, I, I don't want to get anybody you know really riled up here, but I honestly feel like um, one has to twist the scriptures to make them come to any other conclusion than that.
so so the thing is is i feel like um if if this is helpful i I can remember years ago sitting i was invited to um to go for dinner little did i realize it was a setup (laughs) by by this couple who um for a very high high-end public school down in in the south of england and they were all teachers there um and anyway the thing is is that um, they were also all christians um and the person the couple who set it up invited me because they wanted these guys who would love jesus very sincere but they weren't baptized in the holy spirit and um and so anyway they were very keen for these guys to get baptized in the spirit so the, the thing is, some of these guys, they're very switched on people and they they've worked out very quickly. that This is what it was all about. And so there was one particular fella who, who was sitting opposite me. And without me saying a word about the Holy Spirit, he spent two hours straight slating other believers who believe in the things of the Holy Spirit, talking about people leaving their head on the doorstep when they came to church and all this kind of thing. Well, the thing is, you know, I was um, I come from a family of people involved in property and law and all of that. And, and you know, I was trained to debate and all of those kind of things. So I, mean, I love the scriptures. And, you know, so I, the thing is, is that at the end of the day, when he after about two hours, I, I decided I'm not going to rise to this. You know, I just I helped. I bit my lip and I went quiet. But after two hours, it got to me. As I, eventually, I remember I, I just very quietly kind of, um, uh, you know, put my napkin aside from the table. It was a very fine dining experience. And I just sat up. I, I, I stood up and I just leant over the table and I put my finger in his chest. And I said to him, can I just say to you, brother, for a minute, I, you know, you claim to be a follower of Christ. You claim to be a lover of the scriptures, a lover of Jesus and a lover of the church. And I've had to sit here and endure two hours of you slating your brothers and sisters in Christ. I said, uh, because of things that you don't believe in. I said, look, if you really want a scripture to scripture argument about the things of the spirit, go ahead. I said, uh, we'll do it. I said, let me warn you, you will lose. I said, I'm not saying that from a point of arrogance. I'm just saying to you because the scripture is so plain about it. So I said, but here's the point. I said, uh, you know, if you really want to go for it, then go for it. I said, but um, there is something wrong about the fact that if you said to me, if it was your church, and you said to me, John, we don't want you to lay hands on anybody. We don't want you to pray for the sick or anything like that. You know, I said, just preach the gospel, lead people to Christ. I said, well, that's fine. I'll come and I'll serve you and I'll do that. And I said, the gospel's the main thing. I said, but here you go. Look, if I then say, now you come to my church, you know, we've got some people really discouraged. Them. They could do with a prophetic word of encouragement. This person over here, they really need a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom to kind of unlock that thing. And, you know, that person, they really need a miracle from Jesus. You know, could you minister and trust God for gifts of healings? I said, you know what? I can serve you, but you can't serve me. Now, where is this thing about loving one another? Is it just because like a lot of people I meet, you're hiding behind your theology because you were hurt by some charismatic Christian or some Pentecostal, or you were disappointed and you hide your fears behind theology that makes that suitable? Is that what it's really all about? Well, he was very quiet. Well, anyway, the thing is, is that the result of this was that the host suddenly said, I think we better just pray. (laughs) So we all held hands and we prayed and then we were all going to go. But suddenly the Holy Spirit gave me a word and, uh, and, and it was very specific. I said, look, guys, just before we do go, someone here between the 11th to the 13th vertebrae 
in your back. You've been suffering there for two, three years and you're in lots of pain. Jesus wants to heal you. Who is that? Of all things, it was the wife of the guy who'd been having a go at me. So, so she said, it's me. I, I saw the guy's face drop. You know. <laughs> so it's, uh, I said, well, would you like to be healed? She said, yes, please. I said, come on, let's go into a side room. So he followed, came through with me and we closed the door behind us. We went there. So he was stiff as a board and really wasn't keen. But she let me pray for him. Well, I find again and again that when you act on one gift of the spirit, say the word of knowledge, it releases faith and then releases the gifts of healings. And these gifts work together. I lay hands on her. Suddenly she feels this heat go through her spine. All pain leaves her. She's instantly healed. She's rejoicing. She gives her a big hug. She's in tears and praise to God. Her husband suddenly, his head drops like this. And then he, bless his heart, he then turns to me and says, John, I don't know what to say. I'm really sorry. Oh, bless him. He said, you know, years ago, he says, I was in a Pentecostal church. I was hurt. He said, really badly hurt the way I was treated. He said, I left that church and I, and I made a decision. I would never again accept these things of the Holy Spirit because I associated it with the people who treated me badly, but moved in power. And I said, I just couldn't accept it anymore. And, um, and I said to him, listen, you know, I would never part with a brother over this because we're to love one another. And, and you know, I said, um, I didn't intend for us to get into an argument over dinner. Forgive me. I, I you know, I, I don't want my heart actually to be wrong either. I said, we're to love each other. You're my brother. I said, but look, you know, how about this? Why don't we just pray? And do you know what? He recommitted his life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, he actually got released again in tongues and, and he was full of joy. Um, wow. We just had a powerful time together. And he told me, I, you know, I'm, I'm going back. I'm right. going back to church. I, you know, he kind of totally backed off and all of that. But, yeah. but it's wonderful how the Lord used that, that gift of the spirit then to unlock. Yeah. So, um, well, it's yeah. a demonstration of power. I mean, as I'm listening, John, I'm, you know, personally kind of convicted, you know, because the, the phrase you use when you just said the, you posed that lady, would, so would you like to be healed? I would tend to say in that situation, something like that, if I was feeling brave enough, would you like me to pray for you? Which is a kind of get out <laughs> in a way, because I'm just doing the praying and it's up to God if he answers, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, don't shoot the messenger. And if it's, I remember years ago with, you know, the Wimber stuff, uh, he, I think it was him say, it said, you know, oh, something around, I think I was in a meeting where, you know, if you don't, take the credit when it works you won't have to take the blame when it doesn't kind of thing which i suppose <laughs> is but but i i re realize as i as i'm listening to you that we, you know one can be a practical cessationalist in the sense that yeah. whether you know i actually believe these things are for today but how much of my ministry has actually been marked as if that were the case and i was talking with a great friend of mine mike mcmahon who leads a urban church in warrington really good guy and uh but just recently in my sabbatical and, and we were talking about discipleship and we ended up talking about what's our expectation of the miraculous and and you know what do we put in and i i said well one of the things that we've got we have the thing called the discipleship pathway um which people can listen to and have a look on right now media you'll see we've got videos about that but in terms of looking at the early church i said we you know they, they were devoted themselves to and i say it's word worship and one another and as i was having this discussion i suddenly said oh wonders yes 
Yeah. The wonder, and, I, and there's that phrase, you know, well, wonders will never cease. But I kind of realize wonders do cease <laughs> if we're if we don't have any expectation, or you know, or, or you know, we we can so devote ourselves to the word and worship and one another, but we miss the wonders. So, just speaking to me now as a church leader, as many will be on here listening to this Sunday, as somebody who now really senses a conviction from God that he does want his church back, that he does want the Holy Spirit to be uh, able to have more full reign that control freaks like me sometimes want to give him. What, what, if somebody's listening in that position, what kind of thing would you say are the next steps to see more of those, those wonders being released so that wonders do actually do never cease uh, yeah. in the church? Yeah. Well, well, I, I think... Well, the first point I would say is is really what we were referring to earlier about the faith thing and what we're feeding our hearts, um, because obviously the people will follow leadership. And, uh, you know, if as leaders we ourselves are not in faith, we can hardly expect our people to rise up to it. So it, and also, if I look in Scripture and see the two the two main times where it doesn't happen that we see in the Gospels so that, you know, the account that we have. Matthew 17, you know, of the boy who doesn't get delivered under the disciples' ministry. And then they asked Jesus, why didn't it happen? He says, because of your unbelief. And that's a bit of a hard pill to swallow as a, as a leader. But nonetheless, that's what he said to them, very direct. And then it goes on to say, however, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. I My own experience tells me that sometimes I'm going to put this is a bit of a hard one to take, but I put it to myself sometimes. I sometimes think we don't love people enough to pray and fast long enough for breakthrough. Yeah. And uh, that's a bit, and that's difficult, but I've had many times I've wept myself when something hasn't happened and seeking the Lord afresh. You have to, one has to examine one's heart and go to heaven, go to the Lord about things. You know, it, it's just um, the ministry of healing, the ministry of the power of the spirit needs to be faith, love, and power. It, it, it's really got to be that it's got to be compassion alongside faith and the power of the spirit and if we're going to love people i i think we owe them the authentic jesus and uh we really do and, and i just think um none of us are perfect in the healing ministry none of us are seeing everything all the time i i i you know i've had meetings where everybody's been on the floor and only one or two been healed i've had meetings where nobody's been on the floor and everybody's been healed and, and most of the time I, I don't know statistically 40 to 60 percent sometimes have been healed um you know and then have some amazing times like recently in argentina in four days 100 blind people received their sight amazing times i was following that on facebook yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. Just, before we close it out i just love you to also help us you know just to give us a little bit of what god's been doing in mission 24 in recent times as well but but just for now again so i, I as a leader i i grow myself by immersion yeah. in those scriptures um by uh yeah what created creating room for creating room for ministry and for the holy spirit to move i think we've developed such a leadership culture recently in churches that has excluded uh, that and i think we need to and give room spelt time i suppose that's right so we need to create time for the spirit 
to move. We need to train our people in the things that we are growing in, and, and we need to preach it. To me, churches, um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 talks about churches being like a field, what you sow into, of course, you get from it. And if we're not preaching the miraculous and preaching faith, we're not going to get a lot back. So we need to be preaching it, we need to be equipping and get creating space for it, and also creating a culture of, of expectation by giving room for testimonies. That's really important. I think if we do all of that, um, if something doesn't happen, that we admit it, but we press in for more and don't give up, um, you know, and I think uh, honesty alongside faith is really important, but we never give up because he commanded us to heal the sick. And I think that's that's all really, really important. And that's that's what I would say. And I would also encourage all churches and all leaders to make a regular pattern, even if it's like Derek Prince used to do just one day a week where we fast. And uh, fasting doesn't change God, but it changes us. We're like the fuse in the, uh, you know, <laughs> in the whole thing. And, you know, I, I don't know a lot about electrics. My wife tries to keep me away from it. I nearly killed myself three times to mess about with electrics. But I know that the higher the resistance, the lower the flow of power. And fasting reduces our flesh resistance to the flow of God's power. And so I think that's really, really important. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I'll ask you to pray for every for me and for everybody listening in a, in a moment. John, this has been so good, and I'm sure lots of people are going to want to go on and find out more about uh, your ministry, the, the ministry the Lord has entrusted to you of Mission Twenty Four. The last seven years, where you've really felt um, to to you know not only travel around all these other nations, but your home nation to be a place um, where we're seeing the Lord move mightily. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what where where that's at right now? What's what's going on and how do yeah, we do well, you know, I've always done missions across the UK, of course, but I but I really um seven years ago the Lord said to me, turn your heart towards home. He said, I'm about to do something new in the UK. So he said, preach the gospel to the north, south, east, and west of the UK, uh, which we primarily primarily do in missions in partnership with churches and a lot of times with a number of churches in a town or city getting together uh, for missions. Um, and he said, and raise up a new generation of evangelists. And so we started a school of ministry and mission, um, and which, again, we're kicking off the next. It's been going now for, well, this will be our seventh year, uh, starting in September. And so now we have one that meets in Leicester. Um, there's still room. Anybody is interested, you have to go to our website, mission24.co.uk. Uh, you can find out all about that. Um, and we're using that really to train up evangelists. And it's wonderful to see these guys um you know who are coming through and they're learning to move in miracles and leading many to christ it's led to thousands coming to jesus each year across the uk and lots of miracles we just did a mission in leicester uh i'll never forget you know laying hands on one of the ladies the holy spirit particularly told me to do this uh who is um on the team and she went out and over two days um there were three wheelchairs left <laughs> on the streets of leicester um you know and uh and crutches left and people getting saved and healed all kinds of wonderful things happening um and we also do these things you know whenever we go to do missions somewhere in the uk we like to earlier on in the year do what we call our impact training it's like a week's training or sometimes just a wednesday to a saturday um of three sessions a day and sometimes a repeat of smaller smaller version in the evening for churches to help equip those churches in evangelism and the power of the spirit and winding up with a weekend of outreach um, and that helps to equip the local churches and then we go back there to do a mission 
um, somewhere between April to October in the UK. And the whole aim is that not only our team are ministering, but then the local church ministers alongside of us so that when we leave, we leave behind us equipped teams in, of local for local churches who can continue the work of evangelism in their localities. Um, so, yeah, we're looking for uh, looking for and expecting more and more uh, in the UK. I have vision for stadiums and things like that in the future, uh, you know, but I just believe that it's um, I, I really believe we're at the verge of a great move of God in the UK. It's desperately needed. Um, it really is. We all know that. Uh, but I do believe that we are sort of like ankle deep um, in the move, in, in, in the beginnings of a move of God that is actually more out there than it is inside the four walls of the church. I always say to leaders, don't base your perspective of the hunger for God in your community on who walks through your doors, because it's a big thing for people to cross over the threshold of a church. Really, you only test the waters by going to the community. And when you go out there, and for us, I would say that since the pandemic, and our evangelists were out, almost there's about 190 of them now around the UK, and and you know, most of them were out on the streets throughout the pandemic, still sharing Jesus with people. But I would say that since the pandemic, we have found a 30 to 40 percent increase uptake in people wanting to know about Jesus. Um, and so there is a hunger out there. Um but the, the tragedy is at a time when, when the hunger is probably greatest in our nation than I've certainly known in 35 years. Um, many, many leaders are more focused on getting the church back inside the building after COVID than they are on reaching the world. And I think there's a real danger that we will miss our greatest opportunity for the gospel. Yes, Lord, help us. So good. Thank you, John. Well, will you pray into that? for me for others who are listening um whatever our opportunities whatever field the lord yes. has put us in that um we'll we'll yeah we'll be ready and uh, and and you know lord i believe help my unbelief um lord just increase our faith in jesus name would you pray please certainly father thank you for this time together of fellowship Thank you for your word that remains eternally true. Thank you that you are the same, Lord, yesterday, today, and forever. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would fill all of us, Anthony, myself, all of our listeners today, afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, for some maybe who, that actually the whole concept of being immersed in, baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit today is a new or maybe, a, I don't know, just a, a different, um, something that they haven't experienced or maybe theologically have not embraced in the past. I pray, Father, nonetheless, I'm sure that many listening to this podcast are hungry. We're all thirsty for more of you. So we come, I pray, Lord, fill each one with the power of your Holy Spirit, even today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray increase our expectation by your word and through your spirit for you to move in increasing power through our lives and our ministries. Bless your church. And Father God, we just uh, we really do thank you that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
Bless every one of my brothers and sisters listening to this podcast. Strengthen them. Bless their churches. Bring the increase that ultimately only you can. And Father, help us to be a testimony of the living Christ, of his love and power to change the world in our communities. We thank you for the privilege of being partners with you in this great adventure of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Wow. Well, what a fantastic encouragement this has been. I'm really looking forward to connecting with John so that we can plan something together so that um, we can see something happen here uh, up in Manchester. And um, in, in the meantime, I just want to encourage anybody who's listening, if this has been encouragement to you, and I don't know who it wouldn't have been to, please, would you perhaps uh, share it? You can also help us out by writing uh, some uh, review of the uh, Future Church podcast. And uh, also, if you want to really stay connected, go to launchcatalyst.org because we um, expect and that uh, there's this thing we've been involved in for a number of years that some people might just think, oh, it's a church planting conference, and aren't there lots of those? Well, when we started it, there weren't lots. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't a conversation that was happening then. And we talked about discipleship and we talked about church planting, and that's become kind of uh you know everybody's talking about that these days but i really feel that where launch is heading is towards the establishment of helping there to be apostolic hubs and at the same time for there to be um miraculous miracles again being our norm in the church and that we'll no longer be a powerless church but we'll be a church that's infused with the power of the holy spirit so yes we're going to hear from people who'll help us to think about uh, the culture around us and the cultures in our church and all those really helpful things. But at the same time, we're, we're so desperately believe that this is meant to be a supernatural uh, community, which is demonstrating and living out the realities of the kingdom of God because um, of King Jesus. So do join us if you can for launchcatalyst.org later on in the year. But for now, uh, this has been the Future Church Podcast. Thanks again to my uh, guest, Jonathan Conrath. Bless you, Anthony. Thanks, man.